0: as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge.
1: Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone.
0: Welcome to FDH Lounge, mini-episode number 1103. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here for what has been an annual uh, tradition here in the FDH Lounge. Our final four preview. So, the 2019 final four, we are previewing it with longtime good friend and FBH lounge dignitary Steve Callis, who can also be heard on his own podcast with Joe Stazak. Callis Remarks, you can catch that. That drops every week. And of course, uh, Steve, a regular on Joe's show on 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia, breaking down uh, whether it be Philadelphia sports, national sports headlines, all things. And uh, again, Uh, Steve has been on this show to talk about every last uh, little thing in the world of sports that you can imagine, even some stuff outside of there. We did a season three recap of uh, Billions, and I look forward to more of the same. We got the weekly uh, Billions previews going up every week here, Steve. But uh, when this season's all said and done, we get a chance to look back on it. Uh, I look forward to uh, the second go-round with you on
1: that. I can't wait for that either, but it's great to be doing this with you as well. Uh, Obviously, we all love uh, college basketball in the uh, Final Four, despite off-the-court incidents that they're having uh, and problems to be talked about at another time, but I'm really looking forward to this Final Four preview.
0: Yes, uh, this is going to be tremendous. And uh, again, from uh, some off-air conversations here, Uh, I'm going to start by leading the horse right to water here as far as looking back on this because you had said, and I kind of agree with you, that the game may go down as the turning point game in the tournament, the most important one, because it sets up uh, in, in the minds of many, uh, the team that may be the favorite in the Final Four, dispatching the team that almost everybody would have considered to be the favorite in the Final Four, that being Duke, they go down to Michigan State, and the two things that you pointed out to me, and I agree with you on both of those, Michigan State being under yes, they should have been a two, but not matched up against the top uh, number one. Uh, they, they should have been uh, matched against somebody else. Uh, there in another one of the regions. I do agree with you on that point. I look forward to hearing you expound on it. And uh, what you said to me it was very mind-blowing as far as, and again, this has not been covered by anyone anywhere else, the very subtle way that Coach K blew it with the foul situation in the second half of the game uh, last Sunday. So uh, take it away, Steve. I'll
1: just take a picture on Michigan State. I think you could have made a case for them as a one, but they were definitely the sure. best number two Duke was the best number one, so as soon as the brackets came out, I'm like, boy, Michigan State got, this, got the shaft here, How how is it they're going to play Duke in the Elite Eight, that's ridiculous, they were easily, I think they were the only ones who won their tournament, you know, and their regular season, you know, Gonzaga, Gonzaga lost in the tournament, Virginia lost in the tournament, um, I was just shocked. But whatever. But the problem was it turned out to be bad for Duke. But I did say on Joe's show in Philly that Michigan State-Duke I thought was going to be the championship game. And why do you want the championship game in the Elite Eight? Imagine if that was the final game. Which which would have been a possibility if you put Michigan state on the other side of the bracket. Whoever the worst number one is, they should not, Michigan State should not be playing Duke in the Elite Eight or even in the Final Four until the final game. So I think that was a huge mistake. Now, the the head of the committee, the guy, I think it was the AD at Stanford, they asked him and he said, oh yeah, we did that for geography purposes. Uh-huh. And I said, geography purposes? Tom Izzo would rather go to Antarctica than play Duke in the Elite Eight. Come on, right. what is that? Right. So they should, they should re- if, if Really true, then they should revamp that for next year. But we got an incredible Elite Eight game. But I'll say it again it should have been not even the first game in the Final Four, it should have been the final game. Uh, and, and you know, you never know what's going to happen. Look, Duke could have lost a couple of times, they should have lost to UCF if you ask me, but that's a, for another time. So that's but the biggest in game thing I thought, and look, it was a fantastic game, the, but the biggest in game thing that frankly I don't think anyone picked up on like in the country it seems certainly I haven't heard anything is that Duke had only committed one foul through most of the second half right? and they committed their second foul with 4.07 left in the game and right away if you're looking at that from the right angle and they weren't like Grant Hill was saying oh they can be aggressive they have a lot of fouls to give and you know Jim Nance was oh they've only committed three fouls this half but nobody said, you got to get the 7 to shoot, and what if Duke is down too late, or 1, and they have to foul? Right. And it never came up, ever. And then with one twenty-eight left, there was a timeout, and Tracy Wilson said, oh, and the last thing Coach K said to the team was, uh, you've got three fouls to give. Right. Uh, or, or, or something, it wasn't, you know, I got the quote somewhere. But um, she said, Oh, Coach K reminded them they had three fouls to give. That's a quote from Tracy Wolfson. Mm -hmm. So, the sideline reporter. So, I'm thinking, no, no, no. Coach K has to tell them to foul three times. Because if you don't, when the game is on the line at the end, you don't have any... You can't put them on the line. And sure enough, you know, uh, Barrett misses the uh, first. Right. tries to miss the second. It goes in. They put the ball in. They foul right away. There's... 4.7 seconds left in the game. Everybody's walking to the foul line, and then it dawns on uh, Jim Nance. He goes, oh, boy, that's only, like, the third foul. Right. Or the fourth foul. They had to foul two more times, and you can't do it in five seconds. Right. Only then did it dawn on anybody. I think Nance even said, yeah, Duke just didn't foul enough to put him on the line. Well, hold it. The whole half, you're going how great it was. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that they had only had one foul or two fouls or three fouls. And Hill's saying, Be aggressive, you got a lot of fouls. Right. Nobody said the obvious which was, You better foul these guys and if you got guys in foul trouble, put somebody in just to foul. Right. And it really and so you saw it at the end. They fouled with seconds left. That was the fourth. They still had to foul him two more times, which you're not going to do in 4.7 seconds. I think that's why Barrett tried to steal the inbounds pass, and that's why Cassius Winston was by himself. Um, But that's all he could do, because even if he was there and he fouled him, it wouldn't have mattered. Right. So it was just, I don't know. I thought that was a, if true, if what Tracy Wilson said was true, he reminded them they have three fouls to give, as opposed to, you better go out there and foul them three times quickly, which, obviously, he didn't say that because they didn't foul them until four seconds left in the game. Now, you know, maybe people say that's a small thing, but I think that was a humongous thing because had the seventh foul been with 4.7 seconds left when they fouled them that time, they would have shot, and at least Duke would have had a chance. They would have been down one or two or three, and they would have 4.7 seconds. And, you know, 4.7
0: right.
1: seconds is a long enough time, so... I don't want to harp on that too much, but I thought it was so big. And again, I have not seen or heard one word about that.
0: That's an excellent point. And, yeah, it it really uh, should have been touched upon more because as you broke down, it, it really was a tactical failing. It's very unusual, and maybe that's one of those things where because we're not used to seeing something like that, it doesn't uh, dawn on you. But, yeah, that was something where, again, that that game, I think, and and especially if Michigan State wins the tournament. I think we're going to look back on that game as having had the most significance because, again, I was like everybody else. I took Duke. I looked at this Duke lineup uh, and this recruiting class that they had uh, going all the way through, and to me, at least on paper, it's the best team we've seen in college since Kentucky in 2012. They lived up to the billing. They went all the way. Duke did not, and it's a credit to Michigan State. They were able to stop them. Well, I think there
1: are some weaknesses, though. They, you know, started four freshmen. They were terrible foul shooters. They were not good three-point shooting team. They weren't deep. But I agree with you. The talent level, and you're going to find it out, of course, in the NBA draft, but the talent level was was just off the the charts. But, you know, frankly, they won the... uh, they won the UCF game because Williamson missed the foul shot, right? And RJ right. Barrett got the rebound to lay it in. So, uh, I guess you could argue the bad foul shooting helped him. <laughs> and then yesterday, Barrett obviously wanted to make the first one, or, you know, in the, in the Duke Michigan State game, he wanted to make the first one. They were down two, and then he tried to miss on purpose and couldn't. It got that funny, weird, straight up bounce, and the ball went in. So, uh, they did have weaknesses. I thought Michigan State could beat them and would beat them, and I thought so before the tournament. They just have that Michigan. This is like one of those Izzo toughness teams, but with a, with a lot of ability. And you know, they got the kid Langford. They they lost their best player like long ago, um, so you have to give them the credit. The only thing I'm concerned about, I know we're going to do the Final Four games. Is is there a letdown after that game? I think no, because you're literally waiting five or six days, whatever time. You know, it's not like you had to play the next day or two days later even, uh, and this was such a war, which it was. Um, I think they're going to be okay. You know probably where I'm going for the final, you know, for the winner, but, yeah. um, you know, we can, we can do everything else with the other teams in the other games. But this was an incredible game that, in my opinion, frankly, deserved to be a final championship game. That's
0: what I thought. Exactly, and, and, and again, there is, as I said, that chance we look back on this potentially as being the real championship game, especially if Michigan State's able to take it all the way, but let's start with that one, even though it's the nightcap, and again, the way that this was breaking down uh, with the Elite Eight and the teams being in here without the historical pedigrees, you knew that Michigan State was going to be in the late game. Uh, it didn't matter. I mean, the, the CBS Network executives would probably prefer a team other than Texas Tech, but Uh, faced with the choice of Auburn v. Virginia, they said thanks, but no thanks. So this one's going on second, uh, the main event in pro wrestling parlance here for the night. And uh, again, Texas Tech comes into this game. I tend to agree with you. I lean towards Michigan State in this game, although I think both of these games are going to be very close, very competitive. I think we are going to see a continuation of what we saw with the Elite Eight, where there are some saying it might have been the greatest round of uh, Elite Eight games that we've ever seen. I don't know that anybody's going to say these are going to be the best national semifinals of all time, but they both should be close, not least of which because you've got sort of a defensive ace team in both of these games, and that tends to mitigate against any kind of blowouts. Uh, in looking at this, there, there is the again, we've already seen that NBA pedigree only takes you so far. Uh, but Jared Culver possibly being the the most uh, Culver is possibly the, the, the best pro prospect left in the tournament here. He's going to be a handful for Michigan State. But more than that, it's going to be the defense of Texas Tech. This is a Michigan State team. I mean, I, I get everything you're saying with singing the praises of them. The one chink in the armor here, and again, this is this is me being a weasel and having it both ways because I think Michigan State's going to win. But if they don't win, it's because Texas Tech's able to exploit the turnovers. Michigan State's got to be very uh, careful with the Rock, more so than they've been in some of the other games. Turn it over a bunch, and the upset's happening. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I will say this, though. Winston was 20
1: points, 10 assists, one turnover in in the game against Duke. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. Texas Tech is excellent defensively. I think turnovers at times has been... uh, um, Michigan State's Achilles' heel. I agree with that. And Culver, I also agree, he's a lottery pick. The beauty of Texas Tech to me is they're incredibly good defensively. But they've also got this guy, Culver, who's an incredible offensive player. Yep. And a lot of times, look at Virginia, although they have uh, one or two offensive guys this year. Virginia, over the last five years, has been an incredible defensive team. And they never had the gunner, you know, or they maybe had one guy maybe. Um, but this guy, Culver... 19 points the other day um didn't shoot it well but he's a scorer and so they have incredible defense and i think they do they can give michigan state trouble again i just like michigan state and i heard his they'll say this not that i'm surprised nor will you be but he said this is maybe the mentally toughest group i've ever had and again they lost langford early in the year aarons is one of their best players he's he Got an ankle sprain that must be terrible because he hasn't played the last few games. Nick Ward is that big body off the bench who could actually and did bang with Williamson a little bit. He's got a bad wrist. He only played uh, you know a few minutes. He, he, and that's three guys who are really really good. Yet yeah, a guy like Tillman steps up. He was nineteen and nine the other day. He could bang a little. Uh, Goins hit that big three after missing a bunch. And Isso said, to, "Yeah, I said to him at halftime, are you going to hit one?" <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, he hit the biggest one, you know, in the history of Michigan State, other than when Michigan State won, you know, Magic Johnson and his in 2000, other than when they won the whole thing. And I do agree that Cassius Winston is one of the top two or three guards in the country. He's not athletic. He's not high-flying. But for some reason, he's the smartest guy in the court, I think, and made some incredible plays down the stretch, including getting free for the final, you know, to run out the clock, including that uh, law pass, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember who it was, too. I think it was to Tillman, uh, when three guys were going to block his shot, and, including Williamson, very late in the game to cut it to one. Um, he's, he's, to me, maybe the smartest basketball player in college basketball, and I know that takes in a lot of ground. But I think you're right. I think it will be closed if I do it like Michigan State to advance, however.
0: I do as well. I tell you what, let's just hit something here, sort of a side note before we take a look at the other game, and that being, in looking at this, I find this to be kind of interesting because this Michigan State team, I'm seeing some comparisons uh, to the Villanova team the last couple of years with Jay Wright, and I really think that what's, we're not even in the era yet of where the one and duns are, are are done, and they're about to be done, we're about to abolish them, and have it be like it was, it'll be about 20 years uh, in between of where we had the one-and-dones, but it'll be back to the status quo ante if players can go right to the NBA. John Calipari, Kentucky just locked him up, and I'm not sure why, because when he can't get the top shelf of the top shelf anymore, I don't know what separates him necessarily, but I have a feeling that the coaches of the 2020s could be Tom Izzo and Jay Wright, because they've proven they can get it done in this era already when it's more of a level playing field and Coach K doesn't have the top shelf of the top shelf talent available anymore and Roy Williams and some of these other guys. Roy Williams hasn't jumped into it as much as some of the other ones, but I get the sense Izzo and Wright might be better positioned than most because they've been kind of doing it this way already. Do you agree? Well,
1: I think there's some truth to that. I mean, Izzo's been doing it forever, but you're right. He's made that, I don't know, transformation, if you will, (laughs) into the new era. Uh, It's interesting that Duke forever didn't really – I don't know if they didn't want them, but they didn't have many uh, one-and-done or two-and-done guys. I remember Elton Brand left early, maybe after two years. I I don't recall exactly. It was like a big deal. Oh, no, Dookie is leaving early. You know what I mean? And um, Mm -hmm. I think you're right. But the problem to me is when you have these older, experienced teams who are not good but really good, and I'll, I'll use Michigan State, and I'll use Villanova had a lot of uh, juniors and seniors. I mean, Phil Booth was he played he played as a senior last year. This was his fifth year. I think he redshirted one year mm-hmm. on Villanova. So they had real experienced guys. Um, and so when you put them up, now Calipari to me did not have the cream of the crop this year. Uh, Duke had the cream of the crop. Right. But there are always weaknesses if you're going to start four freshmen. Uh, if you don't shoot threes well or foul shots you know, like Duke's team uh, which is unusual uh, I think you're right that doesn't mean Calipari's not going <laughs> to squad every year they are I picked them to go to the final I thought they could have won the other day it was surprising you know they they had beaten uh, they had beaten Auburn by 20 during the regular season right. it, was, it was unbelievable I mean that's a, I understand you beat a team by 8 or 10 or 6 blah, 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 and the next time they can get you but you beat them by 27 to me, you're supposed to feel pretty comfortable. And, you know, they said P.J. Washington was off, but he played great. He was 28-13, and uh, 13, I think, against uh, Auburn. So you give Auburn a ton of credit. But you're right, Kentucky, you would have thought they would have won more in the past seven, eight years. Yep. And now sure I think on. the game's going to start to go the other way. And I think you're right. When they lose those guys, that doesn't mean they can't adapt. That was the word I was looking for before, not transform. That doesn't mean they can't adapt, but they will have to adapt. Whereas Izzo and Jay Wright, who might be the premier guy, right? Two in the last four years, international right. national titles. Um, they might be the future, but the future is now because they're both already. Jay Wright will be in the Hall of Fame. Izzo's been around long enough to be in the Hall of Fame. Coach K should be. He is in the Hall of Fame, and I think Calipari is. Um, but yeah, I'd say I won't say these guys can't do it. I will say that the guys you mentioned, Izzo and Wright, have a head start on doing it.
0: They do. I they do. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, let's take a look at the earlier game of the two on Saturday night. It is Virginia and Auburn. And uh, again, a, a very, very uh, irregular Final Four when you're looking at, again, three of the teams in this tournament, anything but what you would call pedigree teams. Virginia last year as the number one seed, I will say this, I, I regret that this was off air, because had this been on air, uh, my, my good friend, FDH lounge dignitary Ben Chu could have made a career out of it, but he called me before the Virginia game in the first round last year, and he said, I'm not saying they're going to lose but this is the kind of team that can beat them, and that he, he keeps saying to this day, and he's right about this. I mean, Virginia can lose against anybody. I mean, and they've made they're the only one of the number one seeds to make it to the final four. Uh, and they were one of the final they were one of the number one seeds I had going out earlier. Uh, one of the only number one seeds I had going out earlier. So the joke's on me. But, uh, again, they can beat almost any team in the country if they're on their game and they're making it work, but God help them if they fall behind because they ain't coming back. And, uh, again, a team like Auburn matching up with them, uh, they're the kind of team that can go on these kind of runs and get you down. And it's going to be, again, a matter of whose style prevails in this game. You look at the two coaches here, and, uh, again, I look at uh, Tony Bennett and, I'm telling you this, if Virginia wins the national championship, he's getting a movie made about his life about the last 365 days. Because if you go from the humiliation of the first one to lose to a 16 to winning it all the next year, that is going to be irresistible to Hollywood. That is uh, an an ultimate rags-to-riches story right there as far as turning it around. Bruce Pearl on the other side, you know, I as a bitter Tennessee fan – I, I just, again, that stupid, <laughs> gutless administration not standing behind him, that's the kind of guy that, again, I don't care if he's on a, a show-cause suspension for three years. You put an assistant coach in there for three years. You don't you don't get rid of Bruce Pearl. He is, uh, as was said about uh, the, the late wrestler Brian Pillman, a lovable rat, but he is a rat. And there's no question about that with Bruce Pearl. He's got a lot of the old Coach Tark in him, doesn't he? of where
1: Absolutely. he's definitely, I'll, he's a rogue,
0: but he's a lovable rogue, you know?
1: Yeah, I'll say this about Bruce Pearl, and, and I had them going to the Elite Eight, I thought they were good, but um, I'm surprised that they won their last game. Sure. A, I just thought Kentucky was better, but B, um, you know, they lost to Kiki. Right. And he's one of the stars That's of the huge. team. To beat Kentucky, and again, we can go through the same, Kentucky's young, blah, 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 but to beat Kentucky without him, To me, that's the biggest win of the whole tournament.
0: Uh, I
1: won't say that's like a 16 beating a 1, but I will say that to me was an incredible victory. Uh, I really didn't think, and again, as I said, I had Michigan State-Kentucky in the final game, so I was like, they're going to beat Auburn. And, of course, I was totally wrong. Harper and Brown, uh, Harper is one of the fastest guards in the country. It's like he's got an extra gear that nobody can guard him. So they're very good. They can certainly win, but I do like Virginia. I agree with you, though. Because they lost in the first round last year, I said there's no way. I had them getting beaten in the uh, lead eight as well, uh, not by Auburn. Um, But I didn't think they could do it and you're right they should they should do a movie if they win it all i don't think they will win at all obviously i agree with you these four teams these two games are going to be close anybody can win i agree with that um and i do have virginia beating auburn but it's more about them not having okiki than anything else but that was my analysis of the kentucky game frankly <laughs> so i was wrong there um but i think virginia is you know Virginia has guys, again, normally they're a great defensive team, but they got guys like Kyle Guy finally woke up. He was in a terrible slump, you know, shooting threes. He's an excellent shooter. Uh, Jerome can score. So they have guys who can score. They're kind of like, to me anyway, they're kind of like Texan, Te- Texas Tech with Culver. These are excellent defensive teams who have guys who can score, and that doesn't usually happen. Certainly not at Virginia. I think Tony Bennett is a great coach. I mean, it's it's always on his resume. He lost last year. But I agree with you. Give him credit. For them to get all the way back, and I didn't think they would. I still don't think they're going to win the national championship. But to go from 116 defeat to wherever they go, because now they're in the Final Four, uh, I think is incredible, and they should be given full credit for that. But a lot of this time, and we should just talk about it briefly, a lot of these games nowadays, including, I'll say, the Auburn-Kentucky game, Kentucky shot 5 for 21 from 3. I said with Joe Stazak uh, on his show in Philly, I said, if you can give me one stat nowadays in basketball, what is it, Rick? Tell me me what you shot in threes.
0: Absolutely.
1: And I I can usually tell you who won the game. And that's kind of where we are. In the NBA as well, frankly. And if you don't shoot a lot of threes, it's the analytics. It's the... uh, it's the analytics of basketball now. If you, you know, if I shoot twos and you shoot, shoot threes, you're probably going to win. Right. But um, I thought part of the part of the Auburn win was Kentucky shooting five for twenty-one from three. Yeah. Um, part of what I thought could very well be a Virginia loss was uh, a guy terrible in the first half and then coming out and hitting three threes. I mean, it's incredible how the game has changed like that. But he was five for twelve, and Jerome was four for ten. And to me, that's as, uh, as much of the ball game as anything, although Edwards was, of course, lighting it up 10 for 19 from three. And I'm still not clear why Edwards passed that final one. He said after the game that he thought they were going to foul him. You know, up three, some people say foul him, give him two shots. Right. He said he thought they were going to foul him. And then he also said that they told me afterwards they were going to foul me. Now, maybe that's true, but to make a 50-foot, kind of awkward pass to a guy who's running from inside to out, you know, to the three-point line, uh, struck me as a very difficult play to make. And, yeah. and if you do get fouled, as you know, you make the first, you miss the second. Uh, depending if there's five seconds left, you know, you can make them both and foul right away. So it's just kind of weird to watch that game where Edwards was unconscious,
0: right. scoring yeah.
1: 42 for the second time, and then actually took the ball out of his own hands, if you will um, by passing it, it had to be like a 40, 50 foot pass, no? So, uh, to not get anything there, to have a turnover there was pretty disappointing. And if you told me I could have something like a 40 foot pass to a guy running out to the three point line or get fouled and take my chances with two foul shots, uh, I would have taken my chances.
0: Yeah, I can understand that, but, uh, in looking at this, Auburn truly on a remarkable path just to get here uh, because it's just absolutely historic when you're looking at We talk about a Final Four that's only got one, I'd say a quasi-blue blood in uh, Michigan State. Well, that's because Auburn already took out three of them, Kansas, Kentucky, and uh, North Carolina, all in the path. They took them out. Uh, theoretically, here you could look at it and say, "Oh, well, yeah, you got to like Virginia's chances because apparently being a non-blue blood helps you against Auburn." I, I don't know if that confuses cause and effect or not, but in looking at well, this,
1: well, it's a great point. Kansas a down year, but again, to be the one and the two, and that's what North Carolina and Kentucky were, respectively. I'll say yeah. it again: without Okiki in the second game against Kentucky, it's just incredible. Right.
0: I mean, I didn't have Auburn going that far. But I had them beating uh, Kansas. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people probably did, but not necessarily getting past the next two, which they did. An incredible run that they're on. They did it without a Kiki. So it's one of these things where you you almost kind of look at it and almost the same as Michigan State on the other side. You need a team of destiny. You're doing it without some of the guys you thought were going to be there, really in both instances. I'm going to lean towards Auburn on this one here because, uh, again, if they get up on Virginia, it could be game over because, again, Virginia cannot play from behind. They have to be able to impose their style. They've been able to impose it on everybody thus far. But Auburn, to me, is just enough of a wild card that uh, I'm going to pick them to go to the championship game. Before we start looking at this and making our picks, let's break this down as well. This is We can already forecast this is going to be a down year for CBS uh, with the Final Four with these matchups here. Uh, obviously, see, it's not that they are necessarily in love with a Michigan State-Virginia championship game, but compared to the alternatives, yes, they are down on their hands and knees begging for that one right about now. I kind of go back and forth on what's the one that's the biggest nightmare for them. Theoretically, I mean, if you're looking at the programs with the least amount of basketball history, it would say Auburn and Texas Tech, neither one from a big market, you would think that. I think a sleeper for what could be the worst rating all time, though, is if it was Texas Tech-Virginia. Virginia's got a little bit more of a basketball pedigree than the other schools, but stylistically. That game could be just like Super Bowl 53, where I said on this show, you know, just because it's a close game doesn't mean it's exciting. Super Bowl 53 put me to sleep. Uh, that was that, that was that was a quarter star wrestling match equivalent. So uh, that that game that could be a game where oh it's the closest game ever, but nobody cares because the final score is thirty nine
1: thirty seven. Well, I'll go back to selection Sunday, and I, I, I guess CBS has no sway over the committee. But you would have thought somebody in the room would have raised their hand and said you really want Duke-Michigan State in an Elite Eight game? Right. Do you really want that? And they just didn't think it through because I think Duke-Michigan State, Duke anybody, but Duke-Michigan State, uh, I think would have been a ratings bonanza for CBS. I yes. really believe that. And again, I don't think you have to be a brilliant college basketball fan to say that's the game because when it came out I said, that's the game, how can that game be an Elite Eight game? Never thinking the game would be as good as it was, but just thinking that's a great old-time matchup, two Hall of Fame coaches. Yes, Duke will have the edge, but, again, if you watch Michigan State, and I did, you know, tough, uh, very interesting to hear Izzo, of all people say, you know, with the teams he's coached in the past, those guys are always tough. Michigan State, always tough. Good, bad, or indifferent, they are a tough team physically, a tough team mentally, and that's what they are this year. So I think I agree with you on all this stuff with the matchups. But I think Michigan State-Duke could have, should have, and would have <laughs> been the final game, and I think people would be happy at CBS. And yep. I'll say it again. For them, for someone not to see it either in the room, again, I don't think CBS can call up and say, well, hold it, Duke-Michigan State, the yeah. eight, what? I don't think they can do that, as powerful as the TV is. right? But I'm shocked that somebody in the room, I maybe mean, somebody did, not they just blew them off. I'm shocked somebody in the room didn't say... Hold it now. Michigan State's the only team of virtually all these teams who won everything. How can they not? Michigan was the two when Michigan State beat them three times, and Michigan had an easier road. They lost. But Michigan had an easier road than the Michigan State did. So what sense could that make? So I'm shocked somebody in the room didn't say timeout. You really got to put yeah. Michigan State anywhere else, but preferably on the other side of the bracket. Yeah. But I've gone on too much about Michigan State. I just think... You know, kind of a team of destiny, kind of Auburn-ish, but I think Auburn, because they're, you know, they've lost their big guy, I'm sorry, to me, that's a huge loss. Now, again, that's exactly what I said before, Kentucky. (laughs) And they beat Kentucky. Uh, I think, though, Virginia, a little more seasoned, a little more experienced, um, and I think a little better than Kentucky this year, only because Calipari had a bunch of good freshmen, but he didn't have those, you know, John, Wall, DeMarcus Cousins teams, Carl Anthony, you know, they didn't have those studs. Uh, Washington is, but they didn't have like three or four. Uh, I doubt they're going to have, you know, like four guys go pro this year. Maybe I'm wrong, but they're not as good, and usually Calipari, as you know, gets the cream of the crop, but as you also know this year, Duke got the cream of the crop.
0: That's right, that's right. And And, uh, they're both out, and they're both (laughs) out. Yeah, exactly, and Michigan State was able to overcome them. I agree with you. I'm going to pick Michigan State in the end. I I think, uh, in my case, it will be them over Auburn. I think they will get the better of them on Monday night, and uh, Tom Izzo will get to uh, cut the nets down in the final game for the second time. And, uh, again, uh, it's been uh, been a very interesting tournament, uh, very chalk-heavy early on an uh, Elite yeah. Eight that was not very predictable, uh, very exciting games. Again, I think that the national semifinals and the championship game have a close to car- a chance to carry on the closeness there and uh, keep it going. It will be uh, very interesting to watch. We will be following this very closely. And, uh, again, look forward to the next time we have you on the program here, good sir. So uh, always a pleasure to do this with you, Steve Callis. Thank you so much. Yeah, we would be remiss
1: if we didn't mention Chris Beard, the coach of Texas Tech, because I think he's the coach of the year and should get some credit. He's in with uh, some, you know, to me anyway, certainly Izzo's a Hall of Fame coach, Bennett's a great coach. Pearl is, as you said, that, that, that rascal, but he also can coach and has coached forever, but Chris Beard, the new kid on the block, and he gets Texas Tech to the Final Four. So I'm um, disagreeing with you, of course, on the Auburn game, I think. <laughs> yep. But I thought the same thing. but don't think they have enough firepower. And I like Michigan State over Virginia. Again, I thought the I thought the championship game was Michigan State-Duke. If Duke had won, I would have picked Duke to win it all. Um But yeah, always a blast doing this kind of stuff, and uh, I really appreciate doing it with
0: you. It's wonderful to have you on, uh, Steve, and again, great point as per usual about Chris Beard, and again, assuming he doesn't get hired away for another job, and and I think it would probably take one of the real blue blood jobs at this point to get him out of Texas Tech, assuming that doesn't happen, he's going to be there for a long time, and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for a long time, uh, as was, quite frankly, this podcast, breaking down the Final Four coming into this weekend. So once again, Steve, thank you so much, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in. To FDH Lounge mini episode number 1103. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, all clear channel affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IAMBoard.com,
1: DollBoard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classics, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine,
0: Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Paper Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage,
1: My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse, and The Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements.